0: everyone. My name is Derek Covington Smith and I'm going to be your host for Spotlight On. Spotlight On is an interview podcast where we talk to different artists working and living in Mississippi. When I moved back to Mississippi, I opened up my studio, the little yellow building, and began teaching. And once the coronavirus hit and really settled in, it became quite lonely. As artists, we're always used to having a lonely studio practice and being one-on-one with ourselves. But when you take out the option of having that community, it becomes really hard. And that's where Spotlight On was born. I started reaching out to artists all over Mississippi and interviewing and learning more about their lives. I'd like to invite you to come along and join me as we talk to everyone and anyone who wants to share their art and their life with us. So... I hope you tune in. I hope you subscribe and join us for Spotlight On.
1: This call is now being recorded. Hey everyone and welcome back to Spotlight On, the weekly interview podcast where we feature where we feature artists from all over Mississippi. Um, this week we're joined with a special artist and um very lucky and happy to have her on with us. A, a very illustrious career that's extremely interesting, that comes up from um, being a, an independent artist through the education field into um, really helping artists through the state move along in their careers. Um, and then, on top of that, just a phenomenal body of work of interesting fiber arts and different mixed media. Um, welcome, Kim Witt. Kim, thank you for being with us.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to speak with you today.
1: Um your your career is quite long, so I would like to start with your um your art and just talking about your process and the types of art that you create. Why don't you describe some of that for, for our listeners?
2: Well thanks for that opportunity. I wish it was um you know like a sweet little paragraph that I could sum it all up in but it's because it's uh it involves a lot of different layers but um I've been a weaver um a loom weaver for probably forty years or so but in the past ten to fifteen years um I've picked up painting um and been doing a lot of uh, self-teaching and taking online courses and going uh, to the universities here in Hattiesburg and taking courses um, and learning about oil painting because I've always loved oil painting. And then I discovered through an online course, uh, oil and cold wax medium. And cold wax medium is this really delicious butter type uh, medium that you add to the oil paint. And it just makes it so wonderful, and it gives it movement. And so I've really, in the past 10 years, I'd say, been exploring the intersection of weaving and painting through this medium because it offers the opportunity to do a lot of layering and cutting through and so forth. So uh as far as technique, the oil and cold wax is kind of the direction that I go in the painting world, and then in the weaving world, which I tried to leave, to be honest. I really said, okay, I'm down with the weaving. Uh The cotton fibers are kind of getting to me. My respiratory system uh, they're starting to kind of bother me with the dyes and so forth. So I said, all right, this is my last. And that was probably, I don't know, about six or seven or so years ago. But I couldn't leave it. It wouldn't let me. <laughs> I have this. I have a beautiful 60-inch, uh, huge loom in my studio that was there and kept calling me back. And so I went back and I set up the loom a couple of times. And I just I I remember the time I sat down in front of that loom and I just felt like, well, hello old friend, how are you? It was it was great. So um so the technique that I have in weaving is called painted warp. Interestingly enough, so there's an intersection right there just through language. And painted warp is a technique where um you put the you put the yarn on the limb and then you actually apply directly apply the dye onto white yarn. So it's called painted warp and it's something that I learned back in the eighties when I was studying uh, weaving at Aramont School of, of Design up in Gallenberg. Great school, by the way. But, um, but yeah, anyway.
1: I, I've been wanting to go there forever and take at least a workshop during the summer.
2: I highly encourage you and any young artist that's looking to explore anything, uh, in the uh, arts and crafts world to try Aramont. And there's also the, um, Appalachian School of Crafts in Tennessee, which my son graduated their glass program in there. And then there's Penland, of course, in North Carolina. But, uh, but anyway, that I've learned uh, everything I know about weaving there. And um, so, so currently, my current work, to get back on topic here, is that um, I've really been challenging myself to find a new work that involves painting and weaving um, language, for lack, lack of a better word, but also kind of the cross-pollination of the elements of both and the feel of both and kind of, you know, what I love about both. And I think that's just, I think COVID has forced me into the studio um for, what, eight, eight nine months, every, you know, almost every day, which has been just, paradise for me you know it's just been lovely to to be able to hibernate there in this beautiful creative world and uh and just you know play and so that's what i've been doing <laughs> all summer yeah. uh yeah it's, it's been wonderful and i by doing that i've kind of entered into um a place where i i've been able to bring these two um uh mediums together, you know weaving and painting, and kind of coming up with with something new in each area, but also i mean- even wanting to stretch further and try to create something even more new, yeah you know, more more of a um, one plus one equals. Too like like the next thing. It's not painting.
1: Yeah, it's
2: it's both. And I have I still really don't know what that looks like, but I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting a little bit closer, you know. Um, so it's fun. I'm really challenged myself with that.
1: I can definitely see where the two are starting to intertwine. Um, Your your landscape weavings. um, You know, they're these beautiful simplified. Block colors and then you bring in the, the mixed media on top of that, which are found objects, copper twigs, shells, rocks. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of different things right. woven into your pieces. And then to look at your, your oil and coal wax pieces, they're these beautiful color field abstract paintings. And then you bring in these subtle details on top to bring out the landscape and make it slightly recognizable, but you can lose yourself in the layers. Um, there, they're really, really beautiful. I was writing notes on a couple of pieces, and it, it um when I was looking at the Cold Wax, it, I think in some of your earlier work, I wrote down that it reminds me a lot of the de Koonings and what they push through, and then taking that type of a color field painting and and pulling out more and, and bringing a little more to it and making it something new. I love what you're doing with the oil and Cold Wax. I think it's gorgeous.
2: Oh, thanks! It's uh, it's so fun. I I love it. Um, I you know, a couple of things popped up in my in my head. Um, specifically, it, it when I was back in in college, I was studying dance. Dance has been something I've done since I was about three years old. So, uh, it was I was just t- taking extra courses. Well, dance became like this extra thing I did just for fun for me because I love it and then the weaving kind of took on a, a more of a um doing it for a living thing you know I could I was making things that I could sell Yeah, you know, it's kind of hard to but it's definitely doable and I don't mean to diminish the dance world because there are you know very accomplished artists in that area but it was something that I just I took as recreation dance was mine but movement is something that's very important and it, and it just organically came out in all my work. It's very, I don't know if you noticed that. It was, it's very movement oriented. Um, but, but uh, weaving was like I, my partner, my, my husband, you know, my thing that I do every day. And then the, the, the dance was kind of like this um, extra side affair. kind of thing. So I kind of feel like that was weaving and painting, painting. I love painting. It's like, it feeds me. I, I really, I, it's freeing. It's, it's, not nearly as labor and intensive as weaving as weaving is very process oriented i mean it's like you get do this process and then you add on and add on and add on and it, and it kind of accumulates over over time but um painting was like i could paint a painting in a day you know i was like holy cow this is fun you know <laughs> so um so i love that but now i'm kind of getting into the real nuances of the of the medium of cold wax and um and discovering, you know, what it can do on its own. And, and that's really fun for me to do. And then to to bring that weaving element in. Like my brush strokes are kind of woven and my, the texture, the texture is definitely there for sure. But when I found, um, abstract art, it was like, it was like this gift from heaven. Cause I was like, oh, this is, this is so me. I'm an abstract painter. Why why am I doing these? Why am I struggling trying to make paintings that look like something that is not natural for me? You know, you know what I mean? Like, for instance, I was very drawn to Wolf Kahn's work early on. And Wolf Kahn is all about color fields and, you know, and... um, Mark Rothko and that type of thing. I, right. I was intrigued by that because that's what I was painting on my warps. You know, I was painting these these big color swatches and then, you know, weaving with them. So I recognized that immediately in their work. And I was like, oh, I can, I know this. I know this, how this works. Um, so I took color theory in, at university. It took a whole semester in color theory and was like, Okay, it's different in the painting world than it is in the dyeing world, but there's a lot of commonality there, you know. So, so the co- you're right on on target with the color field being kind of the foundation of where both of these things are are growing. So anyway, I, but when I when I when I found the when I found abstract and and was so joyful with it, I began to look back at my weavings going, oh gosh, those are very much. Abstract landscapes, you know. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. And interestingly <sighs> enough, it's, this is really kind of crazy because I don't know if you know Bill Baggett, but he's a he's an icon artist of the of, south, of the you know the country basically. But uh, he did all the beautiful murals in our library here. In, Anyway, he was over for dinner one time, and I was showing him early, like probably 15, 10, 15 years ago, showing him some paintings I was doing. He was so kind and sweet, you know. <laughs> but but he said, Kim, I don't understand why you're not approaching your paintings like you do your weavings. So for the next seven eight years, I was like, what did he mean by that? I have no idea what that means. You know, so I've really been trying to pick that apart. And i uh, I think I'm kind of getting a little bit closer to where that might be.
1: That's exciting that's yeah. always
2: exciting yeah,
1: um I'm- so tell us a little bit about and we'll we'll start diving into your history because it's so rich and so interesting, and you just you've accomplished a lot and and like we were briefly talking beforehand it it you just kind of went with it. And it's not like you planned out your path. You you went where you were led. And it's kind of, that's one of those things where I do the same thing, but it took a long time to tell myself, you just got to go with what you're doing. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in art and, and how you started? And then let's go into the the business side of, not necessarily the business, but the work side of art.
2: Sure, sure. Um. So, like I said, I started in dance, and when I when I went into college, I, um, I you know, I, I had a real strong inclination towards culture, so I went into anthropology, basically, and started studying the peoples and cultures of the world, and what really kept catching me was the art and the culture and the craft of um, these ancient cultures, and, you know, how important art was to to humanity and what purpose it serves. So as a very young person, I fi- I learned the um how the uh how innate it is and how much of very much a part of being a human being art is. So that's always been a seed in my world and kind of maybe if I, if I were to really kind of think about it might be what led me to where I am today. But um But yeah, so in Anthropology, then I started taking all these dance classes and then I met this really cute boy. His name was John Witt, who I'm still married to uh, almost 50 (laughs) years later. (laughs) We're still hanging. But but we went to several different businesses because he's like this amazing um, creator and maker in his own right. But the thing that makes John unique is that he was a great businessman, you know, just kind of naturally. So he made it work for us as a family. But back in the day, um, we ended up at Aramont because of a hurricane. So, So it's kind of cool that the story almost has these milestones along the way that are are uh, brought were brought to us by hurricanes. So the first hurricane <laughs> the first hurricane demolished all the big greenhouses that we had out here. And um we had two big hundred by forty greenhouses. We were raising houseplants and selling them wholesale and all that. And uh so that was gone. And we were like, oh wow, well that was just a whole lot of labor. We don't want to work that hard. What else can we do? You know? <laughs> so uh, so John uh, had the mother of news and he ordered a stained glass kit because in the mother of news it said you can make a living making stained glass. And John's like, oh, that looks so like fun. So he ordered a kit. And, uh, and in the meantime, John's father, who was retired and fiddling around in the wood shop, built me a loom. This is a small little wooden loom. Wow. And, uh, I know. I was like, what is this? He says, this is a loom. <laughs> and you're going to learn how to weave. And I went, what is that? <laughs> 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 I know it's just like well okay so um, <laughs> so long story short we ended up at Aramite and we had a little store up there a little shop out on the Loop that um, they still have the arts and crafts community in, in Gatlinburg yeah. John and I had a little log cabin and we <clears throat> are fortunate enough to have lots of maker friends in this area so we were handling Claudia Cartier's work and Obi Clark's work and, um, many, you know, several other artists plus John Stinglass and my weaving. And he would run the shop and I would take a week long intensive at school. And then I would run the shop and he would take a week long intensive. And we did that for about nine months up there. We lived in a little trailer. It was, and we starved to death. It was, it was really kind of, you know, it was what it yeah. was. We were just very young, and, and we were just feeling our way through the whole thing. But we survived, uh, and, and we ended up back here. And so that's where the stained glass and the weaving started. Was because of that. And
1: it's amazing. It grew, um, and, go ahead. It's amazing what we can adapt to when we're young. And I try to tell my kids this: like if you're if you're going to do anything, anything at all. Try to do it while you're young because you can go without food. You can go without shelter. You can go without lots of things. And then because when you get older and you start to realize that all those things are important, you you won't do without it anymore. You won't risk it.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Especially when children get involved. You know, the risk factor kind of goes up. But, yeah, you can live on peanut butter and canned spaghetti on one beer a day. So, I'm just <laughs> 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 So, um so yeah, and so that so that grew, and uh, we came back to Mississippi. We were kind of intending to to move up to Gatlinburg, but we came back here. And um, Melissa Golson, I think, did a story on John, and she was writing for I forget what newspaper it was probably Laurel Leader Call. This story on John, and the phone started ringing, and it's been ringing for forty plus years since. It's wow. I mean, it's just kind of fascinating. So it's just kind of, you know, I think God wanted us to be here, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, <laughs> and He provided, you know, we just kind of fell into this, this thing, this beautiful 30 acres of land that we were able to purchase for almost nothing right before the market bottomed out back in the 70s. And, uh, and so we moved out here, and we've made a, a go of it, and John's been doing stained glass churches all over Mississippi, over 300 or so, and I, what I did was I started, I started a little weaving business, and I was weaving clothing and doing warp clothing, and doing craft shows, and at my peak, I was doing like seven or eight craft shows a year, which was, that's hard work, especially if you're successful and you have to come back, and all over yeah. again. So, I mean, I even had somebody weaving with me at the time. And then children kind of entered the scene and that, that all kind of came to a screech at all. But I uh, <laughs> but I did kind of hooked up with interior designers during that point and started doing, that's when I started doing commission work for the wall. Um, which before I was just doing, you know, clothes and rugs and placemats and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so sorry,
1: well, around, Go ahead. around the mid-90s is when you started getting involved with education and the arts, yeah, arts the educational system. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how that came about?
2: Yeah, that was uh, another one of those God things, I think, because um, what happened was um, they, our kids ended up going to Laurel Magnet School in Laurel. And um, because it was a fine arts magnet school, and we were, you know, we, we were trying to pick the, a good place to go for them. Went there. uh They had art and music and dance, and I knew the dance instructor there. She was fabulous, Tammy Stanford, who's now the dance director at the Mississippi ah, School of At MSA, art. right? Yeah. Yeah, Hearing
1: MSA, and right.
2: Work. Exactly. So uh, Tammy and I studied dance at Southern together for a little bit. She's a little younger than me. But anyway, she wanted to go apply for this job. She said, Kim, you need to apply for this job. You need to come teach dance here. And I said, oh, I'm I'm not certified, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, the path was made very easy for me to enter in, and I did. I went in and taught dance for like probably seven years there. It was so much fun. I loved it. Creative movement for kids. It's just hilarious. But they had an art teacher, that, they had an art program there that was not very strong. And I kept looking over in the art room going, oh, those poor babies, you know. And, uh, so I, I became certified in visual art, dance, and theater, all fine arts, K through 12. And so I went over and started teaching visual arts, and that was fun, loved it. And then, in the meantime, um, so I did that for probably 15 years while the kids were going to school, and it worked out really well. Um, then our school, Laurel Magnet School, became involved in the Whole Schools Initiative, which is the arts integration. Um, it's a school reform strategy through arts integration. Does that make sense? It's yeah. called Whole It's called whole Schools, and so Nora Davis became involved in it. We were one of the first schools. I became the project director for that uh, initiative at the school. My friend Judy Holyfield, who is the Main Street director in Laurel, who's been very instrumental in the whole hometown explosion there, um, she was the music t- director at, at Laurel, um, she left to go work as the whole school's director at the Mississippi Arts Commission. So she went up there, up to Jackson, driving from Laurel. A couple of years later, she calls me and she says, look, I need an arts education director here, and you and I could make such a great team. So she kind of seduced me into coming to the Arts Commission when <laughs> – when. um Malcolm White was the executive director and Malcolm White was a very, was an old friend of John and mine through the college days. So Malcolm was like, interviewed me and said this looks like a good fit. So Malcolm hired me as the art ed director. Judy and I drove to Jackson three to four times a week from Laurel for, I went for about nine years and did that work. Uh The Arts Commission opened my eyes to the arts of Mississippi in a way that I am, even to this day, so grateful to have met these people in Mississippi, and so grateful that you are now there to highlight all of them. And I can say, look at these fabulous people. So, yeah. Amazing. So, <laughs> so, I was the Arts Education Director at the Arts Commission and ran um, grants programs for Individual artists, they put me in charge of visual arts and crafts since I had that experience, you know um, and i um I fought those battles with the education department, and um we we made some changes I mean it was slow at first, but we made some changes, but my favorite part was running the fellowship grants programs where the best artists from around the state would apply for a five thousand dollar fellowship. And what I did was pick the panel that adjudicated all of those grants. And I I couldn't, you know, I didn't have an opinion. My only uh, power was uh, choosing the panel. So I got to sit there and just watch these slides of this incredible work. From all over the state, wow. and it was just jaw dropping to me. I mean, I learned. I would sit there during the grant panels and just take notes on on what the panel was saying about other people's art. And I wow. learned so much. What an
1: experience! I,
2: I know it was fabulous. I, it was just fabulous, and I met some of my dearest friends during that period. Um, who, uh, the people that I'm now, um. Colleagues with at the Mississippi Art Colony. That, it was a lot of those those artists, and plus all the um, other fabulous artists all over the state. But yeah, the um, that was a great opportunity. It was it was a huge learning curve for me because I'm not politically inclined, so that was not that didn't come real natural to me. I I didn't like to go bust up into the legislature, but I did and and advocated <laughs> as much as I could. Um, for arts in Mississippi and education and also for um in the community. I don't know if you're familiar with the creative economy but that that whole um initiative that the arts commission started the creative economy was started during that period. So it was it was a it was wonderful. It was fun, it was hard uh but I really did like that work. It was meaningful also meaningful,
1: All so meaningful. Yeah. your your career your your entire career not just your art and not just what you're you know experimenting with and what you're putting out into the world but your everything you've done in your career feels like it's had rich purpose, yeah and I think
2: it's important to me for yeah
1: yeah, so tell me about your work with the the Mississippi arts Commission. Well, the Art Commission, the next.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I retired from the um, Arts Commission um, with the intention of coming back and being an artist again, like coming full circle, you know, and just having time to, to do my thing, which I was really excited about, and I still am. Uh, and so one of the first things that I did was – went to the Mississippi Art Colony because I knew I knew those people now and I had worked with them and helped some of those artists get on the uh arts commission's artist roster and the teaching artist roster. I did a lot of work in those areas too. <clears throat> so I had been working with some of those artists and I went um I, I went for a session and um went for probably three or four sessions And then the director at that time, Byron Myrick, a good friend, lives out here in Moselle, not very far from me, he's a potter, but he was the director at the time, came to me and said, look, I've been doing this for, you know, I don't know how long, but about 14 years or so, he's been there for a long time, so I've been doing this for a long time, and we need a new director, (laughs) and I think you would be great, and... I, you know, at first, I was very honored, of course. You know, my gosh, the the directors of the art colony, that art colony's been in existence for 75 years almost, you know? And so, yeah. huge shoes to follow. I mean, we're talking Bess Dawson and Jamie Tate and Lyle Moorhead. I mean, there's just, I can go on and on. But anyway, <laughs> I was very honored, but I think the the clenching thought that went through my heart was that, oh my gosh, I have so much experience that I could bring to this group and help them. You know, besides I could come for free. <laughs> <laughs> A little selfish motivation in there but hey, you know, so I was like, yes, I think I think that would work. Of course it's kind of interesting it, it was, uh, when I talked to John about it, he had been kind of putting his arm around my shoulder going, now, Kim, it's time to step away from the computer. It's time, you know, because I had a, I had a really hard time leaving that world when I left the arts commission, you know what I yeah. mean? The, Cause you're so embedded in it. It took me a, a, at least three years to really get away from it. Wow. So he was like, are you sure you want to do this? Because it's kind of like, you know, but, um, but it works. It definitely works because it's, it's, not anything like working as the arts Commission by any means, but it's just managing and helping these artists bring in top dollar artists from around the country to do um a week long retreat with about forty artists and it's not like a workshop it's like these artists don't come in and teach a workshop they come in and do uh, they they Meet individually with each one of the artists at Colony, and they say, where are you, and where do you want to go? And then these artists are able to guide us through critique and through conversation about our art. So it's one-on-one with a very well-known artist.
1: I just got (laughs) (laughs) chills.
2: Right? That's
1: insane value. Just oh. as on a human level as on a on a spiritual artist level, that's insane value,
2: oh yes, sir. You have no idea, and so you go and have a colony experience and you're wow. you're you're transformed besides it kind of reminded me of being back at Aramont because. You're completely immersed. Somebody's cooking for you. There's no phone. There's no laundry. There's no of the other distractions that you have that keep you from your work. It's 24 hours on if you want to be on for 24 hours, and you're just painting and and wow. sleeping. You know, and it's a beautiful. That
1: room. would be transformative. Oh, is I true? would imagine you'd walk in and walk out. I'm just completely changed.
2: Mhm. Absolutely. And and it's different every single time. Uh, and it's, it's held at the Henry Jacobs Camp uh, in Utica. It's um, a camp that's been there for, I don't know their history, but a longer, probably 70-something years. It's been there for a really long time. And it's a Jewish camp, summer camp for kids. And then they rent out that space for venues. It's a big lake and a lot of cabins, so it's it's perfect for us. But the interesting part there is that during the whole schools days when I was at the Arts Commission, we would have whole schools retreats there. So here I am again at Henry James <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? 15 you years have repeating
1: my... themes in your life.
2: I do, and it all comes down to one sentence, the transformative power of the arts. I cannot tell you how many times I've said that phrase in so many different it's respects. True. But it's it very, true. very true. It's very, very true. Anyway, well, you're, um, working, you're, you're, you're working.
1: You're working on something currently that I think is very important, and and you know you have you've got this massive passion for for pushing forward um people in the arts. But you're part of this Women's Art Collective in Mississippi. Tell us about that, because that's, that's something that's new and building, right?
2: It is. Um, well, I don't know if it's building. I don't want to mislead people, but um the Women's Art Collective is a group of about 12 women here in the Hattiesburg area that originally got together, a handful of them, probably about six of them, got together and just to kind of meet and say, look, I'm working on this. What do you think? You know, just kind of a, uh, meeting and talking about our art and, and inspiring each other and, you know, just, just having a community of artists that we could talk with and meet with. And it, it has grown in that the artists in the collective now are, um, well, they always were, but are producing and professional artists. And we work towards having a show. We have different shows. We go, we just had one at JCJC. A couple of things have fallen through, of course, um, because of the COVID. But um, one of the things that has happened because of my work with the art colony is that it hooked us up with a similar group on the coast called the South Mississippi Art League. And that's a group of coastal artists that got together for pretty much the same reason. So when Paulette Dove, who kind of directs that group, and I met at Colony, we learned that we had these groups, and we said, you know what? We should have a women's show, a powerful women's show. And we did at the Hattiesburg Arts Council here in Hattiesburg. Fabulous show. Oh, my gosh. It was wonderful. And we've done that several more times. Uh, we try to do that at least once a year to get together and have a group show between the two of us, and they're they're wonderful. So yeah, great work. We're we're hoping to have a show there at the George Orr Museum of Art uh, after the first of the year. I think is what they're trying to do. We don't have a date yet because it's changed a hundred times. But yeah.
1: And for anyone that's listening now, um, that she she's talking about twenty twenty one. Um right. We're recording this in December, and it will most likely be airing somewhere in b- between January and March.
2: Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you know, nothing's confirmed these days. Not now. I'm <laughs> yeah. time, for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I can't. As, as someone who likes finding those groups to be a part of, and mm-hmm. how much it means to me when I can find one that's inclusive to to my needs, mm-hmm. I can't imagine how important and how. Um, Gratifying? No, that's a bad word for it. Just how awesome an opportunity this is for underrepresented women in, in the Mississippi communities. You know, we have um, tons and tons of artists. I mean, you, you, can, you can see if you go into social media, we're out there, um, but they don't always know what to be a part of or how to live as an artist is one thing that I'm, I'm running into is that with a lot of younger ones, they don't um, you know, they, they don't understand that they can have a career and be an artist at the same time. And, um, what you're doing is not only providing opportunity to show and to be seen, but also a chance to connect and be mentored by people in your same condition and people in your, your, that look like you and sound like you and go through your life experiences. That's so important right now.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. absolutely um and the art colony um uh, as a scholarship program i encourage people to go to that website that's msartcolony.net and kind of peruse through that beautiful website that we got um see some of the work that our members do but specifically search out where the Scott where they talk about the scholarship um it's it's kind of a, it's really you just apply for it and we get a lot of students and college students that are, that do that and they come and they meet these artists that have been doing it for 50 years and they're like oh, okay so they're able to see themselves in the future and they're able to talk to these artists so, so that in itself is a, a wonderful opportunity.
1: Well Kim for any future artists coming up What would be some advice that you would have for them?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, um, you know, being an artist, you're in isolation. And here we've been in isolation for almost a year now um, with this pandemic. Uh, I think it's important to find a group or to start a group or to immerse yourself in a group that is doing something that you love to do or a group of people that are in your area. So um, I would say to work against isolation or to add balance by having uh, some sort of an interactive opportunity so that you're not so much just hearing praises and critiques of your work, but you're, you're hearing what other people are saying about other people's art. And it may be something that resonates with you. You know what I mean? It's kind of like exactly. me sitting in front of all those slides that the um the fellowship grant you know i I think that's very important is to to go to museums, go look at art, go listen about art, read about art uh especially in your areas that you love and see what's happening and and that's a lot easier now with um social media, especially Instagram. I love Instagram. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm learning, I'm learning so much more now that my daughter is, um, sequo, she's here with us. Um, yeah, her global plans have changed significantly. So I have a young person who's very dynamic and passionate about her work. And, uh, and, and so now we're intersected. So apparently it's another God thing that's happening. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that my daughter is here, and she's building an artist and yoga retreat here on our land where our where our studios are, so that artists can come in and mentor one another, writers or you know musicians or painters or dancers or yoga enthusiasts or you know anything that promotes. Uh, wellness to the arts, that transformative power of the arts. We're gonna have a place for that here. Eventually. Gotcha. <laughs> We're working towards that. The lodge of Sweetwater, that's on Instagram right now too. So um I that I think that would be my advice is to stay connected, you know, and be inspired. Look, go to what inspires you and just work. Just do it. It'll work. it'll it'll happen. <laughs> it'll come together. You know, it did my life.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and go with it. Just go with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kim, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. For anyone that wants to find um Kim, you can find her on Instagram at Kim C Wit and the Wit is spelled W H I T T. Um, so it's K-I-M-C-W-H-I-T-T. And then also com. You can also find com and find Sweetwater on Instagram as well. Uh, Thank you again, Kim, for being with us. And for everyone else, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks so
2: much. It was great.